Okay. <clears throat> We're going to start that whole thing over since nobody actually saw the first one anyway. Um, I think I got the keyframe stuff right, which we'll see. We'll see if YouTube, if YouTube um, freaks out on me. Oh, I think this is continued stream from the last one. Oh, perfect. So I don't have to redo all that stuff. Awesome. Yeah, I just changed the uh, the keyframe rate. I don't even know what that means, but we'll we'll see if it changes. So what happens when I don't have somebody to run this stuff for me, which I don't know that I ever will. Not that it really matters. But anyway, um, you know, going back to um, some of the, you know, some of the things that have happened um, that 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 sort of changed the way that you're thinking. Like I was saying, I, I made this YouTube video the other day, and um, was talking about um, preparation and training, uh, and it was talking specifically about training for uh, a much worse situation than you actually expect to be in. And, uh, and I thought that that's, that's super interesting because I, I think that I personally have just been behind um, in this concept because it's not, it's not a foreign concept. It's not really that strange of a concept. Um, the idea that when you train or when you practice for something, you practice for worse than what the performance is actually going to be. So, for example, like on the piano, you know, there's lots of pieces that I've played um, that I couldn't play now. And part of the reason for that is because I didn't, when I trained for them and when I practiced for them, I practiced to be able to play it right once or twice in rehearsal and never really to play it perfectly and have it totally memorized. So there are very few songs outside the songs that I wrote myself. I mean, obviously some of the stuff that I wrote myself, I can remember because they came from me. But a lot of the other songs that are really cool, um, I don't remember. I remember pieces of them, like this one. I just see. I can't even. I can't. Even, I don't even know if my my fingers are going to remember it. Yeah, that's all I remember. And it's interesting because I love that song, but I didn't practice hard enough when I was learning it to be able to pull it out at any moment right and so there's lots of lots of different pieces like that where you know you learn it and i would i when i practice and this still happens practice to the point where i can play it right at least like without making any major mistakes like once or twice and then consider myself practiced and that was enough and i think you know in general that's the 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 problem with that attitude is that it it sets you up for um, for too much uh, potential variance in the performance itself. And I think that's something that, that the, I think the reason why it never really um, hit home for me was because I didn't ever think about, I didn't ever consider that, that a perfect performance was possible, right? So I always, I, there was always anxiety around performing, but the anxiety was because I didn't put the time in uh, to actually learn what it was that I was, that I was trying to learn and, and well enough so that performing it wasn't like, there was no way that it would be, um, not perfect, if that makes sense. So, you know, it, 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 so I think I have, I've always had this, um, negative view or, or unhealthy, I should say, view on performing because, um, 
it it never really I never really like internalized the idea that you can practice hard enough to where performing perfectly is not uh, it's not even a question like it will happen simply because you know it that's the way that it is right it's it's not like it's not like it's a question I feel like I'm beating this belaboring this point but the idea is um, if you actually work hard enough in practice and in training and I'll get in a second to the training how this applies to training and like fighting and things but if you work hard enough in practice like on the piano then there are you then you'll never you'll never uh, then your, your fingers will just do like what I just played this right here That I can play perfectly, and that's the first, that's the opening line, the opening sequence for um, a Dave Grusin song. It comes from the movie um, The Firm with Tom Cruise. Great movie, uh, and Dave Grusin actually plays the, the piano is the entire soundtrack. is just him playing on the piano, and most of that song, like he, he wrote the, the, the theme, this part. It happens that that's basically the whole song, and then he just riffs off of that. So he goes into that, and there's a B section where it goes something like this, and I forget how it goes, but it's like that little section. And then there's another part where he plays down lower. And one of these days, I'll actually learn it, and then I'll per- perform it for you on one of these live things. But <laughs> it's not going to happen now. Um, but uh, but the what, the point that I was getting to is I I know that sequence for two reasons. Number one. Because it's my, it's like, it's one of my favorite parts of the song. So I played it a lot. But number two, it's the first part of the song. So I, when I'd get sit down to practice, I would practice that part first because that's the beginning of the song. So I do. You can tell there are certain parts that I didn't practice perfectly like that intro. This, this part. But um, the uh, the but that that part I I learned and I can play that part at any point. And sometimes I, what I'll do to play off like I like I remember the song is I'll just riff on that little that that part because I know this part goes. Like I remember certain parts of it. And, uh, and so I'll dig back into that and remember, you know, those pieces in that, 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 that spot. Um, but I won't, I can't do the whole thing. And in fact, that's not how that part goes. That's taking pieces from the first, like the middle and the, the, you know, different parts of the song. And, you know, it's just because I didn't, I never put the time in, um, never really focused my energies on that enough to be able to say, yeah, I, you know, I, I, um, I can I can play this song perfectly, and I it's not that I haven't put hours in practicing the song. I mean, I I started uh, I was first introduced to that song in high school, my uh, senior year of high school, and um, and have essentially been trying to play it ever since. And just I've never really sat down and put the real work in to practice each of the pieces like each of the individual parts so that I could play it all perfectly. I like there's the same thing with Claire de Lune by, by uh, Debussy. There's, there's pieces of that song that if I sat down 
Now, even if I'm playing through with sheet music, like I, I'd have to get into it, but there are certain pieces that I practiced and that I learned correctly. So like, Something, I, 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 obviously I can't play it. I have the sheet music over here. I probably should pull it out at some point. But um, there's one part that I have to get into with the music. But I, when I get to that point, I can stop. I can not look at the music and just f- play it because I know where it's at. It's because those pieces I actually practiced because I wanted those to be right. Um, whereas the rest of it, you know, I just, I relied on the music very heavily. And I think part of that comes from um, I have this, I've always had this ability and I, I, everything as far as this stuff is concerned relates back to music because I've always had this ability to sight read. And that just basically means I can sit down. In fact, there's a piece of music in front of me here. It's super tiny. So I don't really know what's going on here, but the idea here is I can, you know, I can just sit here and let's see, this is all the flat. So this is gonna be terrible. And I can like figure it out as I go. So I just see the notes and I understand the way the notes work and I know how songs flow together. So I have a general understanding in my head. And so I've always been really, really good at being able to sit down and just sort of make it up, like like just flow through it and, and try and make it happen. Um, but the problem is that I've never taken that and 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 shut that part off to then go and actually practice because the juxtaposition of like the, the other flip, the flip side of the coin, so to speak from being able to play something, uh, to, to sight read something is having to practice it and having to learn it. So I could sit down and in fact, bear with me for one second. I'm going to go get some music. I'm going to show you what I mean by this. All right, so the idea here is, I'm gonna put this is a this is Debussy, Debussy, however you pronounce it. I still don't know how to pronounce it. That's pretty ridiculous. But if I go to let's find that song, Claire de Lune. I don't even know where it is in here. I know it's in here. That's why I bought this book. Oh, there we go. One idea. Okay, so if we're sitting here, all right. So this is this is this song, and now that I have the music, you know, what I'm what's going to happen right now is I've I've played this song before, so this isn't really really sight reading, but I haven't played it in long enough to where it's kind of is like sight reading. And in a second, I'll show you real sight reading where I've never actually seen the song before, and and. Then I'll talk about what that means. But so this is this is this song. Ready? Right? 
Oops. See, this is the problem is I sometimes I don't remember right. So here we go. Let's try it again. See, even right there. I know those notes. I know exactly how it's supposed to go. But because I could sight read through it when I would do it before, I never actually had to, like, purposely get my fingers to do the right thing. Now, let me show you that spot um, right here. So there was at, it, was, it was at a page turn. So this is, it, it's a page turn no matter what music you're using. This page turn here, uh, this part right here, doing a terrible job of showing that I knew how to, how to play it. But there's this part right here that I could always play. Um, but I, I was almost, I was almost always, always sight reading through the whole thing because I never really would sit down and actually teach my fingers to know the pieces. And interestingly enough, there's a lot about music. I, I think, I think deep down I had like a, like I didn't want, I didn't want this to be um, I didn't want my performances or anything that I did musically to be rote. I wanted it to be heartfelt. And so I, for me, I think that turned, turned me off to the idea of really practicing because this is what it comes down to. Piano is mechanics. It's fingers and they play notes, but it's just the mechanics of playing, putting your fingers in the right place and then pushing down. That's really all that it is. And even the emotion that you put into playing, like, for example, listen to the difference between these two. So the first, this first version is, so just listen. This is technically the way that the, the way, this is just the notes, right? Right. You can hear. So you heard that. Right. That's the notes being played. This is this is the same notes, the same rhythm, the same everything. This is that emotion that's put on the top of it. Right. You can hear the difference, and I think in my head, this is me deconstructing my high school self, but in my head, that emotion that was put on 
I felt like had to be put on in the moment. Like that wasn't something that I could, that I could put on as part of practicing and then, uh, and then have that come out in the performance. Like I, I didn't want to create too much. What's the word? I didn't want it to be too canned. Like I didn't want to practice the emotion. I just wanted the emotion to, to come out. I wanted that to be very real and very, very honest. And so I think there was a, there was a part of me that, that in order to, um, to preserve that, refused to put in the time to really practice and perfect the actual piece. There's a lot of P's there because I was about to say for the performance, which would have made it like five P's. Um, and I think there was a, there, I think it was a mistake because in my naive high school age mind, I think I thought I was conflating, uh, uh, something that was practiced with something that was honest because I, th- I think that it's not, um, it's not difficult to, when, when you have a feeling for, and this, this is going to speak mostly to my musician friends or anybody that that's, that's, that's done music before. When you uh, understand the f- structure, the, s- the skeleton, so to speak, of the music that you're dealing with, um, adding the emotion into that is not something that's difficult for someone who understands emoting through music, which is something that I've, I've always been able to do. Um, but I th- but I, like I said, I feel like it's, it's been at the, at the detriment of actually learning the, the notes because then the emotion can come on top of it. So, I, I mean, I had, I had uh, various, you know, I, I was in various choirs and in various ensembles. And there were some instances where the director or the person that was in charge would, would remove all emotion from the, from the story until the notes were perfect. Everything is technically perfect, and then we add emotion in. Whereas some other people that I respected equally as much would say, no, you can't ever take the emotion out of it because you have to, it has to be part of the performance, right? And so, um, so I think I never really committed one way or the other. Um, but one thing I for sure didn't do was commit to actually learning the, the notes and actually committing to like learning the piece, um, so that I could perform it. You know what I mean? So I would, you know, like I said, I got to the point where I'm, I'm really good at just sight reading. So for example, Actually, no, I'll go to Beethoven. We'll pull up some Beethoven that I've never played before. Okay, Sonata in G minor. Don't even know the song. Although I'll probably recognize it once I get going into it. But the idea basically is, and of course I've put myself into a box here because if I can't play this, then I look like an idiot. But the idea basically is I've always been able to to kind of sit down and within a couple of minutes just be able to play it. So let's just deal with the first line here. So right, uh, about 60, okay.
Right. So the idea you, <laughs> I bet at home, you're probably thinking there is no way that's the right thing that actually isn't, that isn't far off. I think probably the, the timing is off. And if I had heard it before, that would make a difference. Um, to, to the to proving the point of me being able to just sort of stick in um, and uh, and and just play it here let's see if we can find another one here's a good one I don't think let's see sonatina in F major so let's see how this one goes oh the wrong key get the idea right it's not not super difficult and I'm, the thing is that's not performance writing but i could always sit down and figure it out you know i could i could pick a song sonatini in, in a sonata in g major right so So the idea being, this is like a terrible rendition of me sight reading because I'm not actually doing a very good job. Part of that's because I haven't actually played the piano in like six months. But the idea is I've always been able to just pick things up and play. And, um, and that I think has caused my, my ability or my desire or really just that, that whatever it is that, that causes somebody to go and, and really dig in and practice something. Um, it, there's like no reason for it. Like why would I go... Why would I go do that? Um, because I can, you know, just as easily sit down and just pick something up and play it. So here's another good example of that. So this is from The Firm, that song I was telling you before. So this, this, the sheet music is actually here. So what I've always been able to do is if I can sit down with the music itself. Now, this is a different story. All right, so I, I, I showed you before how I remember pieces of it, but I can't play the whole thing, right? So let's, let's see how this goes. It's going to be a little bit different. Obviously, playing the actual notes is an issue. That's because I haven't practiced in a while. But the you, you can already hear the difference, and that's that I'm actually playing the right notes. So. So 
he plays that part and then he goes into this. Right. So that, at that point, you see, you notice, I, I can't, I can't remember those notes, but I, you see, I played that part pretty much perfectly. And it's just because that's one thing that I actually did practice. Right. Um, and there's some parts in here, right. That I, I just know that I can play. And then we get down into this part. Now this is very, very interesting because since the very beginning, this, I've had a, a knack again, this goes back into sight reading. I've had a knack for being able to sight read rhythms and just understand how the right and left hand play back and forth as I'm reading it. And I, I can't really explain it. But this part here that he gets into. All right, this whole part in here that he gets into this, this little like back and forth with the, the low. That whole section, I never learned. And the reason why is because every time I sit down to play it, I could read the music. And so I would sit down and I would sight read every single time as though it was the first time that I'd seen it. Now, the difference was I knew where it was going. I knew where it was ending up, but I never really internalized that. I could never sit down and I, like to this day, even now that I've got it, if I, if I remember that I'd seen it, I couldn't sit down and like just play that part because I don't know it because I never learned it because I could always just pick it up and sight read it. And so I, so I never, I never really got to the point where I was learning, learning deep enough to, um, to be able to perform some of those things. And, and I think, I think the point that I'm getting at here is not so much the sight reading versus the performing. I think it's more relying on, um, relying on what I'll call false positives uh, in your ability to perform. So like another good, really good example is all through high school and all through college, I never studied. I was not a studier. I was not a homework doer. I was not a studier much to the chagrin of both my parents and anybody who really cared about what my future held for me. But I didn't, I didn't care. And the reason was because when it came down to it, I was good enough at taking tests because I was good at knowing how tests work. So you go in and take a test and um, tests in, in high school, in high school specifically, but even some of the college courses that I took, tests are less about understanding material and more about understanding the professor um, and understanding the types of questions that are going to be asked, like the teacher and understanding what types of questions. Because I mean, if it's a multiple choice test, it's, it's not about material. It's about understanding the way that those tests are put together. Every teacher people just don't have enough time. This, by the way, this is probably going to turn into a, how to cheat, like how to, how to beat your tests little thing. But, uh, in, in any test that I ever took, teachers don't have the time or the patience to really think about, um, the answers that they provide. And so usually almost a hundred percent of the time, uh, for every test, uh, that you, that you take, there's an answer that's absolutely wrong. And there's an answer that's close, but not quite there. 
Um, so there's usually two that you can you can discount right away, and then it's between one or the other. And it's really just about about doing enough of the work to get to the answer to point you in one or the other direction. Because for me, I got to the point where taking tests was about finishing tests. Like, how fast can I finish this test? It wasn't about did I learn the material. It was about how fast can I be, how quickly can I be done with this and on to the next thing. And usually, and stupidly, that usually meant sitting and waiting for the end of the test. But like in college, once I was done with the test, I could leave. And for me, getting a B minus or even a C plus on a test to was enough of a, was an, was a, I was willing to pay that in order to not have to sit in that testing center for any longer, which was, I think, kind of dumb. But I think it goes back to that same, the same idea with sight reading versus actually learning it is that I, you know, I was able to get by because I understood the game. I understood how, uh, how everything is actually supposed to work. And so I would understand that just like here, if I can sit down with music and sight read it, the, what I'm getting, cause I wasn't really performing that often, but what I'm getting is anybody who's around me, who's listening is taking enjoyment from what I'm playing. And they don't know the difference because I'm not really performing at, at you know, at a high level with people that actually know the difference. Um, it, it doesn't really matter how, you know, whether it's perfect or not. And so, uh, it, you know, because I didn't really elevate my game and I wasn't really trying to, um, to, um, at its core, well, I wasn't really trying to improve the craft. I was more just, you know, dinking around, so to speak. The same thing rolled over into test taking in high school and in college. It wasn't that I didn't learn anything because there were some classes that I was really interested in and I would actually pay attention to. And I, there are some things that I did learn, but the, the problem is that, that, you know, and I said this in the video that I recorded the other day, I mean, from high school and college, there's like three or four things that I remember learning from classes. There were things that I picked up sort of, you know, side things that I learned about myself and things I learned about, you know, test taking and other people. But as far as like principles that I learned from the classes that I took, there was very, very little that I actually learned. And, uh, and I think that goes back to my inability and my, in my, my, my lack of desire, so to speak, to actually learn the material, but rather to be present and, and all, and, you know, and just, I didn't ever want to take my eye off of what was happening around me, I think is what I think is what it comes down to, which I don't really know if that's, that's just me trying to put my finger on something. Um, but it's interesting because that it, it came, I would never have thought about this. I never would have even uh, considered, you know, making this into a, into either a, 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 a podcast episode or anything that I was even thinking about, except it came up, the same idea came up in uh, training, right? So as I'm, I, I've realized the other, it was, I, you know, it's funny that it took me this long, but a couple of months ago, um, I, so first of all, a little bit of backstory. So I started training Muay Thai uh, in October of 2014. Okay, so long time ago. Um, in February of 2016, I fought for the first time. It was a, like a smoker IKF point style Muay Thai. So it wasn't really like, uh, it had gear on 16 ounce gloves. It was like hard sparring essentially, um, fought for the first time and then, uh, fought again about, uh, 10 months later in November of that year. Um, yeah, same style thing, same, it was like a smoker type thing. And then in May of the next year, I fought at a tournament in Arizona, and that was sanctioned. So it was 10, uh, 12 ounce gloves, I think, and 
uh, elbows and, but we still wore shin gear, shin guards and headgear. And, um, and those were a little bit more intense. I've got hit a little bit harder for those fights, but I remember that recently, um, I, I, since, uh, since probably may actually probably since that, the fight, the last two fights that I, that I took, I took another, I took a job. Um, it's a, there's a lot of stuff that's gone into that, which I'll make another episode telling all about what's happened the last, um, the last several months. Uh, cause it's kind of fun and it involves where we are now, uh, pretty heavily. But, um, the, the, what I've noticed as I've taken time off, um, and not been as, as intensely into, into training is, um, a couple of things. First of all, I've noticed that just like before I was falling into some of the similar tendencies where I, I, I find myself not wanting to go take classes because I, I just want to go spar. And I think part of that is because I, I think that I'm good enough to where I don't need those classes or I don't want to. They, they bore me in the same way that going to class in high school or in college or doing homework would bore me. And, and interestingly enough, I watched video of myself sparring three weeks ago, and I think that's what jarred this, got this whole, uh, this whole thought process started because I saw it, vi- f- footage of myself and I was like, that guy does not know what he's doing. Like I, I stepped outside of myself and I was actually watching myself as a viewer. I wasn't, I wasn't reliving the situation. I was, I was a third party, you know, a bystander. I was actually watching myself and judging myself, which I do. And, uh, and it, and it occurred to me, there are so many, uh, I, I do okay when I spar. Okay. Um, I have a decent amount of skill. I'm not, I'm not anything, you know, spectacular by any means. I'm a solid member of the team. And I come and I help people out and, and, you know, I'm, I, I can give people a good look is the term that we use. It, I do a good job. But, um, when I watch myself, I notice that I, I don't, my, my hands are here. And when I, when I defend, I have this weird, like, I don't really defend, not really with any strength, with any vigor. I sort of defend and I shell up. And then when it's my time to go, then I'll, you know, then, then I'll return uh, there, there's just a lot of these little mistakes that I continue to make, um, that, that it's not even necessarily that they're mistakes. It's just, I'm performing at lower than the level that I want to be performing at. And I can see it now because I've watched myself do it. And, um, and so I, now I can see the difference and I realize that, you know, the, my, my, first of all, taking time off and not training, not, not, I'm obviously I'm getting a little bit bigger. I'm wearing this black shirt today on purpose, by the way, because I didn't want you to notice as, as, as blatantly how much in the midsection I've put on. Um, but, uh, I, um, I, I wanted to, well, I realized that, you know, I wasn't as, well, to put it bluntly, I wasn't as good as I thought I was. And, uh, and I think it comes down to that fact that I, you know, I've stepped out and I thought I was better than I actually was. And I thought I could step away from the training aspect. And I realized that there are so many, like I have, I'm a beginner at everything that I'm doing. The only reason that I'm any better than anybody else, um, at Muay Thai is simply that I'm a beginner at everything as opposed to being a beginner. And like, and I've never even tried some of those other things. There's just some, like, there's some things that I can do There's a lot of things that I can't, most things I can do. I can't do anything really well. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's interesting because I can step in and I can spar, 
but then I have to think about who I'm sparring against. Not, and this is not to discount, not to, not to, uh, to down talk or anything, you know, the people that I train with, cause they're amazing. It's just, they're all smaller than I am. They're all, they're all little guys. They're all, they, I outweigh every single person that I train with, with a couple of exceptions, but they don't come to sparring as much, but I outweigh everybody by at least 30 pounds. And I have about a six to seven reach, six to seven inch reach advantage. So for me to say that I do okay when sparring is not saying much because of course I should, I should be doing okay. I'm bigger than everybody else, right? I have the reach advantage. I have the weight advantage. I just have to throw something and it's going to knock them off balance. Right. And so now looking back with that, that lens, like it all came clear to me when I saw myself and I was like, this guy's not as good as he thinks he is. It all became clear to me. And I went back, um, and started to think about, oh yeah, you do well, but you get caught with stuff. I get caught to the, to the body, which to explain, I'm a really tall guy and to let somebody get to my body and actually be throwing significant shot, like punches to my body means that I'm letting people in, which is not, that's not to say that, you know, that that should never, ever happen, but it happens more often than it should. Um, like I shouldn't, that shouldn't be something that I'm really dealing with very often. It should be more, you know, more of the longer techniques, um, that people are, are getting in on me or that people should be moving a lot quicker than they actually are. Um, and so it's interesting. Um, because, you know, I, you start to realize that, you know, uh, uh, I'm getting, I become comfortable with where I am and with what I, the, the performance that I'm actually giving. So it, it clicked for me. And I, I went back to this idea of when I sit down to play the piano, I can sight read just about anything. So I don't really have to be that good. I don't have to remember anything. It just give me some sheet music and I'll, you know, I'll figure it out and I'll leave half the notes out, but it'll sound okay. Now, anybody who knows anything about music that comes in uh, will pick up on it right away. They'll see me as, well, he's just kind of faking it around. Now, I'm okay. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at the piano. I'm, and being able to sight read like that is, is a skill. But in the same way that, like, being able to spar but not really being able to improve your game. Like, if I was to, if I was to fight against somebody, like if, or even spar against somebody that was my weight, it's a totally different game. And I feel a lot less confident in myself because I'm sparring at the level that I should be sparring at as opposed to this, this sort of le- lesser level. So in the same way, the whole point that I'm getting at is if I had taken piano, if I was to take piano seriously and, and, uh, and practice as though it was a real performance and pra- at the level that I need to in order to perform like perfectly, if I was practicing so that professional piano players would be impressed by what I was doing, then everything that I did would be, my fingers would be a lot crisper. I could be confident in them. And like what I was saying at the beginning, the, the confidence in the performance, there would be no question about whether or not I can uh, perform the piece correctly. Because I would, like if I sat down in front of people, like I'll say lay people that aren't musicians or people that aren't pianists, but they appreciate music, um, it would be perfect, you know, even in their eyes. Whereas some of the stuff that I'm doing now, I can kind of get by. Um, and even though it's not perfect, they may hear a mistake or two, but they don't really care. Whereas if I was practicing this so that I could perform in front of professional musicians and real judges that really know what they're talking about, um, it would change, it would change the game. I would be at a, at a whole different level here. And I think the same thing is true. If I, if I was to go back to school now, 
and perform uh, practice, meaning study and do homework, not, not so that I can pass a class and not, not with the understanding that I know the teacher, I know the professor. And so I can sort of fudge my way along, but rather do it so that I can perform correctly and adequately on the test and ace the test hundred percent. Cause there's a difference between being okay with a B and holding yourself to and, and expecting yourself to perform perfectly because you'll understand, you might understand this when, when you go to take a test, if you are okay with a B, then the preparation means that you don't really need to know everything that, that, that could be on the test. You really just need to know enough. So you need to test to like a, a B level. You need to be like, yeah, I know most of the stuff and I'm okay and it's fine. The only way you get 100% is either through dumb luck, which you can't sustain, or because you know, not, you know more than, uh, you, you know everything that could possibly be covered on the test. So it's not just, like what I would do in college is, my professors would always give us study guides that would say, this is the stuff you need to know on the test. And I'd always get frustrated because there'd be questions that weren't on the study guide. And it'd be like, well, you told, this is what you told us to study. And it's like, these are, these are the types of things that you should know. But everything from this quarter that we're testing on could be on the test. Like, that's the whole point of tests. I'm teaching you this material. Are you learning it? That's the point of a test, right? And I, I never really understood that or cared, partially because school isn't really set up that way. It would require way more work uh, for, for to, te- to teach that as opposed to just teaching material, like teaching understanding and learning material on top of teaching the material itself is not really the, the school's responsibility. That's your responsibility to, to, to learn that. And I don't know, I don't know if I just, like if I was, people tried to teach me that and I just, I was kicking against the pricks to borrow a phrase or what the deal was, but I never really wanted to do that. I always just wanted to do as the, the minimum, the minimum that I possibly could to get by and then, uh, and then just roll forward and not, not deal with anything else. Like I didn't really want to have to deal with, um, any other pieces of anything because I just wanted it to be, let me just do my thing. Let me just, you know, minimum, I need to look at this information, go over the study guide. If I can answer the questions on the study guide perfectly, I'll get enough of the questions right on the test to pass the class. No big deal. Right. Um, whereas if I had espoused a mentality, a 100% mentality, I think that's the key. In fact, I think I've just, I've, I've nailed it. On the piano, in the ring, in a test, if you espouse a 100% mentality where when I get in that ring, when I get into that test, when I perform that piece, I will perform it perfectly. There's no, it's not a question. I'm not, I'm not uh, nervous going into it whether I'll perform the way that I'm supposed to because if I take it the mentality that when I perform, I will perform it at 100% perfection, um, it changes completely the activities that you do while you're, while you're practicing for it. So if I'm, if I know that my goal with a playing a piece is to perform it perfectly, I will perform it. I will perform it to myself for a week before the actual performance. And the, my, my goal in, in training, in practicing will be, I want to be able to play this song perfectly every time I play it for at least a week before the performance so that there's no doubt in my mind that I can play it perfectly and that I will play it perfectly because if I played it for a week perfectly, then there's no reason why that, you know, why that performance, the last performance, it's the same as the the other 15 or 20 or however many I can perform um, in that week. So it's about 
practicing training so that when I perform, the performance is like another one of the training sessions, but it's even easier because, you know, it's not, it's not like perform, train, train, practice, 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 practice for three hours. It's perform for three minutes and then done. And same thing in a test. Like if you, if you, if you study with the end goal in mind that you're going to get a hundred percent on the test, you necessarily have to learn all of the material in the test because all the material that was covered that could be, could have been covered that you might've missed everything, which means you have to learn the content. You have to learn it, not just be able to recite it. You have to know it because the only way you can guarantee a hundred percent is if you know the material perfectly inside and then it's just, Oh, this is the question. Boom. I know because it's part of me. It's not, I'm trying to remember what it is. It's no, I know what it is because I, because I studied it because it's, I've made it part of me. And I think the same thing is true. And, and interesting that I end up talking about training and fighting, because I think that's the most visceral example of this. Um, where, uh, when you train for something with the goal in mind and with the, the, uh, the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The objective in mind that the performance or the actual fight will be perfect. You'll do nothing wrong. You'll slip every punch. You'll land every single one of your techniques. Um, you'll know everything that's supposed to happen. You'll understand, you'll be able to foresee what the other person's going to do. You train for a much more difficult opponent than you're actually going to face. Because you can't just, even if you were to, even if you were to spar with the guy you're fighting for six weeks beforehand and you really understand their movement and you really understand the way that they do things, there's still the chance that, that somehow on the side they will have gotten better between the last time you spar with them and the actual performance, the actual fight. And so you can't really uh, account for everything. But if you are constantly and consistently putting yourself up against uh, opponents that are bigger, stronger, tougher, uh, more hard-headed, uh, more experienced, more technical than you are, and that, and then your then your opponent's going to be, then when you step into the ring with your actual opponent, it'll be like a like a Thursday, like a like a like a low intensity day, like your recovery day, right? So so you know, in the same way that, that, and that, that I think shifted for me. I mean, there was a couple of, like I said, in that video, there were a couple of things, but, you know, running that hill, um, made me realize that I've, you know, even my training for the fights that I actually took, you know, I was like, let's, let me train so that I can, I can master this training session. Like I'm, I'm pretty good at pads. Um, or I got pretty good at pads, uh, meaning I won't, I'm, I'm pretty good at conserving my energy so that I can give a good pad round so that I can do everything. When I think the real point is, uh, your everything should be like, you should burn yourself to, to, to nothing. Um, you know, Joe Schilling, who's a professional kickboxer, he, he posted on his Instagram and I mentioned this in the video, posted on his Instagram that he, you know, one time he was training for a fight and he, you, you see him doing some cardio and then he throws up because he's going so hard. Like there's no, there's, it's not true that when you get to a certain level, you don't have to work as hard. This, the, the effort is a hundred is always a hundred percent. The only thing that changes is your output. And so naturally, and this never really clicked for me, I don't think, but naturally, uh, your effort should be at a hundred percent 
And then the output that you become capable of should be far beyond what you're actually expected to produce the night of the fight. So you should basically prepare for world championship level fights uh, and put in that amount of work. I mean, we're talking like, uh, I, I, in fact, I love this because there's so much more to training for a fight than just like sparring or doing pad sessions or, or hitting the bag, right? There's cardio, there's strength training, there's everything. You, you have to you have to practice, you have to train for something that's much worse, for perfection, right? You have to train beyond what you think you're going to need in order to be where you need to be. So just like for me to, for me to perform adequately, and that's the funny thing is for me to perform adequately on the piano in front of professional musicians, I have to play it perfectly. That's, that's like the starting level. There's no, there's no room for, oh, he made a mistake or the fingering was wrong. Because this is a funny thing. When you get into professional music, uh, some of you may know this, but you can hear wrong fingering. If I play a, a, a Bach piece and the fingering is wrong in the right hand, somebody that knows that song and that piece, and most people do, will hear that you played the fingering wrong. And, they'll, and that's like immediate disqualification. There, there's no, the standard is perfection. And then that's where the, that's the base level standard. Like you can't, you can't come in and, and, you know, and, and expect to perform with those people unless you can, you can, you know, get yourself to a certain base level, which is that like stylistically or technically on the piano, every note has to be perfect. The timing has to be perfect. Beyond that is where you get into, uh, you know, the difference between the famous professional musicians and, you know, a studio musician. But I think the interesting parallel is that with like with fighting, there's just so much that you just have to put yourself through so much worse than you could ever even think you would put yourself through in the ring. Not because your trainer told you to not because, you know, it's it's conventional wisdom, but because when you get into the ring, it needs to not be as bad. It, it can't be the worst. It can't be the, the hardest thing, the hardest part of your training camp. The fight can't be. Just like the performance of the piano piece can't be the most nerve-wracking or the hardest part of the, of the actual thing. Of course, there's, there's, there's things you can't replicate about a live performance, right? The crowd, the lights, the stage, you being by yourself, the nerves, right? That's something else. But as far as the actual performance, the actual playing the notes, the actual fight, the actual test, you should have already done the work for that, right? That, that's, that's not something that, that really requires that you, um, that's not something that you should, you know, really have to even think about. And the funny thing is, I've got the performance thing in the bag. Like, I know how to shut out the audience. In fact, I like being in front of people. So, like, playing the piano in front of people is not an issue, it's the getting the it's the practicing part. It's getting it perfect. So if I have any nerves around performing for somebody, it's because I know that I have not practiced something to perfection. In fact, just I don't know over Christmas, so like a month ago, um, I oh I lied before when I said I hadn't played the piano in six months because I did practice and play for this thing. Anyway, my sister had a Christmas program at her church, and uh, and I stepped in to help play. I, I accompanied a violinist, and the the song the music is beautiful. It's a great arrangement. The violin is beautiful and we worked on it and we got it to the point where it was good and the performance went great. But I knew going into the performance that I, that it was possible that I could screw something up. 
And it was just because I hadn't practiced it enough. Now, I don't know that I needed to practice that. I'd like, that's not an example of something that needs to be perfect. Right. But at the end of the day, you know, it, what does need to be perfect? Right. So if I had known, if I had done enough work beforehand to know that that's that, that performance would be perfect, there are a lot of nerves that I wouldn't have had. Like I was actually nervous to, to perform that because I knew that there was a possibility that I could play some of the notes wrong, which bothered me. <laughs> but if I had just practiced to the point where I knew that I was going to play it perfect, then that wouldn't have been an issue. And I think that's the case across the board. Like these, even these fights in Arizona last year, going into them, I was like, I know that I'm, I know that I'm bigger, uh, taller. I know that I've done a lot of work with my cardio and the conditioning, but still I didn't know if I was going to win. And I think that's the wrong mentality. And it just comes down to the fact that I didn't work hard enough in training. I worked hard in training. Don't get me wrong. I worked hard in training and I put the hours in, but, but I feel like my mind wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't have the right mentality. So I wasn't, the training was not, I'm training for something worse than it's going to be there. I was just training to, to win the training, like to, 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 to beat whatever I was trying to do right then, as opposed to constantly having the end goal in mind, you know, and I think, you know, there may, we could, we could dive into why that is and where some of those, that underlying feeling of, uh, needing to do things that way comes from. But I think in general, I think the, uh, the, the key is just that I, I never really took anything seriously enough to, um, to commit to it at that level. And so, you know, that's, that's something for me that's definitely going to change. Um, I think that as we move forward, you know, being able to, um, to do, to commit to things and commit to perfection, like committing to perfection, I think is something that I've shied away from mostly just because I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to come short of it. Um, because that's, that's like, you know, it's like disappointing to everybody, myself included. And so, uh, it's just, um, uh, just interesting that, that whole mindset, that whole, you know, idea of, you know, how, how those pieces, it's funny, those pieces of my life coming together and teaching me a lesson that I probably should have learned a long time ago, but didn't, you know, I think, I, I just think about how much different my life could potentially have been if I had learned this lesson in high school and gotten straight A's because there is no reason why I shouldn't have got straight A's. Like I was in honors classes. I was, I'm a smart dude. Like I, I can, I can learn things. I just didn't apply myself. And I think it, part of it is because I was okay in my mind, the cost of really putting in the work to learn something was not worth the payout of getting the grade. And I think that's just short sighted because I didn't, all I saw was what was right in front of me. Um, and all I was, all I was, in fact, this is, this has been a very transformative experience. I'll pay you all for your, uh, for your counseling bill later because me just talking to nobody, well, nobody's watching, but me just talking to the camera, I think has helped me uncover a lot of these things. But I think part of the issue is because I was not able, I've, I've never really been able to see beyond the next hour or the next 20 minutes, the next day. Everything is about what, how do I survive this? How do I survive what I'm going through right now? But it's, I've never really been good at see, seeing tomorrow, like future me. Like what's gonna, what is my choice now going to affect tomorrow? And recently, um, you know, that's sort of changed a little bit for work. There's been some situations where I, 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 it crystallized for me that if I didn't do something in a certain moment that 
moving on to later in that week, it would cause problems. And so that started to be, I think this has all been a gradual shift and where I'm starting to at least see that that's an issue. But, um, but part of the, part of the thing that I've been trying to, to come to grips with and really understand about myself is when, uh, is what, what is the future me and how can I, the present me best serve the future me? Cause I've made a lot of choices over the last five, six years that past me was happy about that present me is not happy about and I can't do anything about it. They're just, they're choices that I made and I'm locked into the consequences of those choices. And, uh, and so it's interesting, you know, as you get later in life, I mean, I'm 31. This is, this is, am I 31? I'm 30. I don't actually know how old I am. Uh, this it's 2018 now. So that means I'll be 32. Yes. Yeah, so I'm 31. Wow. That was very embarrassing. Um, it's interesting that this is coming to me so late in life, but I'm glad that it's coming at all because I feel young still. I feel like I have my whole life ahead of me and, uh, and it, and it changes, I think the, the, my outlook and, and really the way that I'm moving forward with life. So anyway, um, I just wanted to point some things out. I'm done with talking about that. I pointed a couple of things out. I, you may have seen this <laughs> if, for those that are just listening to the audio, uh, you won't know this, but I'm pointing out, I have this little tattoo on my arm, my forearm. I actually have one that's faded here. You can't really see it. And one that's fading here. And then there's one on my elbow here. Uh, they're not real tattoos. You can tell cause they're fading. Um, that's mostly for my mother. She should, she needs to know that they're not real tattoos. Um, not to say that I would never get real tattoos, but I actually kind of like speaking of this whole thing. I kind of like the fact that there's no, there's no real long-term commitment to this. Like I can have ink that stays for about a week and a half, but then it goes away. Like this one here, I put this one on like three weeks ago and it's t- almost totally gone. You can see there. Yeah. You can't even see anything. Um, anyway, so I've got these and you can see also that since the last time I recorded one of these, again, people that listen to the audio won't know this, but I've grown the beard out quite a bit. I'm gonna let it grow. It'd be epic and grand. Um, anyway, I, I think, you know, that's been a thought that's been on my mind. This is kind of this recurring, this theme that, that, that happens in my life. I'll go through, I'll think of, there'll be like this, this thing that's gnawing at my brain and I'll make a video and I'll do a blog post and then I'll make an, ep- an episode here and just kind of talk through it. And it's interesting because it, you know, it, 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 uh, I get deeper, uh, to some of these pieces, some of the things that I'm, um, really concerned about, you know, and, uh, and I can move forward on that. So anyway, I'm glad to be back. Podcasting is, uh, is super fun and I'm excited to do it. I'm excited to do this live thing. Um, because it actually, the funny thing is doing it live this way makes my job of the post-production of this whole thing a lot simpler, uh, because the video is done. So that just stays online. I don't actually have to deal with the file of the video. The, the audio gets recorded to my desktop and I can just, you know, make sure that there's no, if I need to do any post-production on that, which I shouldn't, uh, I can just upload that straight into my podcast uh, system and that gets published out and everything's fine. I don't have to worry about it. So that's exciting. Um, but uh, anyway, I hope that uh, that you'll, you know, if anybody out there is watching or paying attention, that you'll you'll listen. Um, if you, uh, I also have a website that I've put together, brettwardjames.com. It's just my blog right now. There will be some cool things put up there um, shortly. But I'm, I'm kind of just getting back into this idea of putting thoughts out there because it's not that I, not like I stopped having them. I just settled down a bit and, uh, and I've been, I've been doing the, the home life thing a little bit. Uh, one of these times I'll have Sue actually on the podcast. I've, I've, I think I've convinced her that, that we, she needs to join 
the podcast and actually be part of it. Um, but there's there's a lot of stories and things that we could tell, you know, the from the past year and a half that would be a lot of fun. So anyway, super excited uh, to be back at it, back doing the podcast thing. Um, uh, I let's see if I can remember the the outro that I used to do before. I'll play you guys out. And we'll be good. Peace.